So our lectionary text this morning is from the letter to the Hebrews. And as one commentary puts it, Hebrews is well known for what we don't know about it. We don't know who wrote it. It's attributed to Paul. It's in the style of Paul, but scholars are still questioned whether or not that's true. We don't know the author. We don't know the date. We don't know the destination to whom it was written. We don't know the place from which it is written. As I said, Hebrews is well known for what we don't know. Now, Hebrews refers to itself as a message of encouragement, and as such, that makes it sort of a a sermon of sorts. It was written to encourage these early Christians to persevere in the face of persecution and chaos. Though we don't know exactly what the situation was that was causing that persecution or even what that chaos looked like or entailed, certainly there are more questions than there are answers. But what we get throughout the book are these hints hints along the way that there are these social pressures that have begun to weigh on this community of faith. These believers, this body of believers, they seem to have grown weary, weary of the Christian life. Now, by the time we get to the 11th chapter, which we'll be reading from today, the author is starting to round third base and headed for home in his sermon. And he speaks about the role of faith in our lives. He begins by defining what faith is, but then doesn't stop there. He goes on to give many different examples of what faith looks like. Examples of of faithful people, these ancestors in our faith that have endured great trials and hardships, but yet have maintained their faith throughout, and then lifts up and points them to what that faith offered them in the end. So I invite you to listen to this word from the letter to the Hebrews. Our scripture today is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 16. Here begins a reading. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in the foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs, and him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return. 
But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I doubt that I would get much pushback if I were to say that the last two and a half years have had a significant impact in the way that we live our lives. You think about it, the, the way in which we go to work has changed. The way that we educate our children has changed. The way that we shop, the way that we go out to eat, the way that we view our government, the way that we go to church, everything has changed in the last two and a half years. Maybe you could say that, that, that in many ways it's like we've had all of the furniture rearranged and we've had to, to get used to new ways of navigating through the, the ways of our life. For some, if I could push that metaphor a little bit farther, there have been more than a few bumped shins and stubbed toes as we have run into the proverbial coffee table as we stumble through life in this new way of living. But what I want us to think about, what I want us to talk about this morning is in this world in which so much has changed in the last two and a half years, what has happened to your heart? In particular, how has it impacted your faith? Now, as we look at the world today, it seems, it seems as if faith is on the decline. And I'm not just talking about faith in the, the religious sense. But more and more people are losing faith in a lot of things. Medical science, politicians, institutions, religious institutions, God. And the list could go on and on and on. There seems to be a lot less faith going around. Now, that hasn't always been this way, of course. At one point in the not-so-distant past, people who had no faith background whatsoever would turn to the church in moments of crisis. But that time has come and gone. Today, more and more people find the church to be a place where faith has become misguided at best and toxic at worst. Now, one of the words that has gotten a lot of use these last couple of years and maybe even worn out is the word unprecedented. Anybody use that word in the last two and a half years? A time or two. Uh, that is the word that I am most tired of using, that and the phrase, the new normal. Anybody else use those words? If I never use the words unprecedented or new normal again, that will make us all very happy. But have you noticed have you noticed that there seems to be this human tendency to see the events, the challenges of our time as being particularly difficult and momentous? As if we are the first people in history, the history of the world that has ever had to endure or to go through what we are going through. The truth is, these times are not unprecedented. People have gone through this sort of thing before. They've had to deal with some pretty hard stuff. 
I was watching a movie recently called Dunkirk. It's a historical, uh, historical movie about the battle and the evacuation in the midst of World War II. The Allied troops, if you're a history buff, you know the story. The Allied troops had retreated there at the beach, and they were waiting, desperately hoping to be rescued. There were like 300, 400,000 troops that were just simply sitting targets for the Germans that were coming in and dropping bombs and firing torpedoes. It was an intense movie. And as I white-knuckled it through it, I watched the story of how, of how the, the, the Royal Navy from Britain, they would call upon all of the, the civilians, anybody with a boat in all of Great Britain, to cross the English Channel, to go there to Dunkirk, to pick up these soldiers to help bring them back to safety. And so you saw all of these fishing boats, these trawlers, these sailboats. Anyone and everyone was called to come and help. And as they would do so, they would dodge dive bombers, torpedoes, risking their lives just in order to fight another day. Now, as I was watching this the other night, do you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about red pepper flakes. Now, before you judge me, let me, hear this, let me let you hear me out. The other night, that very night that I was watching Dunkirk, I came home from work here at the church, a long day, only to find my beloved, beautiful wife, Kelly, storming around the kitchen, a little bit frustrated because there was a new recipe that she wanted to try that called for red pepper flakes, and she was sure that we had red pepper flakes in our pantry but they were not to be found. And so immediately upon walking into the house, I was told, Russ, you need to go back to the grocery store to pick up red pepper flakes. Now, I was tired, I was hot. The last thing that I wanted to do in that moment was to go to the grocery store to pick up red pepper flakes because I had been to the grocery store the day before and gotten everything on the list, and on that list was not red pepper flakes. But being the dutiful husband that I am, <laughs> I went to Kroger. But yet I found myself as I'm walking through the grocery store getting more and more frustrated. And then, to make matters worse, the person in front of me in the express lane had 16 items. So you see, don't you, how hard my life is. <laughs> but yet as I was watching Dunkirk, I began to realize there were no dive bombers or torpedoes in the parking lot of Kroger. <laughs> all that to say, all that to say, and I'm not trying to minimize the last couple of years this human tendency, but, but simply, simply saying sometimes that it's good for us to remember that, that people that have gone before us have struggled, they have endured, they have faced uncertainty, they have had their faith tested too. And so sometimes calling upon those memories of those that have gone before us, sometimes that can be a source of encouragement and inspiration. You see, that's what the author is doing here, the preacher in Hebrews. He's reminding them 
of their ancestors. He's giving them examples of those in ancient Israel who had lived by faith. He starts by giving them a definition of what faith is. You heard it. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That is one of the most beloved verses in all of Scripture. It rolls off the tongue with a lyrical profundity. It, it connects us with our deepest longings. It tells us that, that faith is that conviction, that conviction that what we want, what we need, what we long for in life is real. And it's on the way. But the preacher doesn't stop there. He doesn't just offer a definition of what faith is. He shows what it's like when people live out that faith. He goes on to give us these wonderful examples of people, these ancestors in faith, people that have gone before us that went through some uncertainty, that went through some pain, some stress, some worry, but yet in the midst of that, they held on to their faith. Now, you may have noticed that the verses that we read, 1 through 3, 8 through 16, the part that we skip there in the middle, the part that the lectionary leaves out, it lifts up people like Abel and Enoch and Noah about how they were faithful in the face of struggle. And after each one, after each one, he says, even though they are dead, that they continue to speak to us. They show us, they teach us through their life what it means to be faithful. As one commentary refers to it, this is the hall of fame of faith. These are examples to be imitated. And then he gets to Abraham, the father of the faith, talks about how he acted out his faith without any real knowledge of where he was going or how things would work out. God simply told him, go to this new land, there you will receive your inheritance. And so he simply trusted God's promise, and he packed up his family, and he moved forward even when he didn't know how it would all turn out. And the author says this is what faith lived out looks like. But that's hard for us, isn't it? We aren't really comfortable with that level of uncertainty. In fact, we like to go ahead and plug the destination into our GPS apps on our phones before we leave to go where we're going. And not only that, sometimes we even plug in the GPS app to know where we're going so that we can avoid the traffic that may point up along the way. We like that level of certainty. We want to know where we are going. Pima Chodron is a Buddhist nun, and she wrote a book called Comfortable with Uncertainty. And she says this. She said, we try to control the uncontrollable by looking for security and predictability, always hoping to be comfortable and safe. We like to be comfortable and safe, don't we? But the truth is that we can never avoid uncertainty, she says. The not knowing, that's part of the adventure but it's also what makes us afraid. You see, it's the not knowing that makes for the uncertainty. But that's also where faith comes in, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, you've probably heard me say that the opposite of love is not hate. I believe that the opposite of love is fear. You've probably also heard me say that, that the opposite of faith is not doubt. But doubt is actually a, a very important part of our faith. 
I wasn't the first to say that. Theologian Paul Tillich was the first to say it. I just claim it as my own. So if doubt is not the opposite of what is the opposite of faith? I'm glad you asked. I would argue that the opposite of faith is certainty. Think about it. Faith is trusting in what you can't know for sure. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But have you noticed that we in the church have made faith to be something that it's not? Something that it was never intended to be because we are uncomfortable with the uncertainty. We want that security and that safety and that predictability. We've made faith to be something psychological, an intellectual concept, something that you can know in your head, something that you could hold between your ears. But I would argue that that misses the point entirely. And I would argue that the reason that so many have lost faith in faith The reason that so many have lost faith in the church is in part because we have made faith into something that it's not. Much of modern Christianity has been built upon certainty, upon head knowledge about what we believe, where many have been taught to stand firm on certainty, and we use phrases like, this is what the Bible says, and this is what God means by that. And if you don't believe that, Your faith must not be very strong. You see, when we have this approach, when we assume that you are more certain than you are, that's how you measure the strength of your faith. And in that way, it becomes, doesn't it, it, black or white. There's no room for gray whatsoever. There's no room for questions or doubts. There's no room for struggle. Now, I would argue, does that sound at all like what's going on in the world around us. I'm right, you're wrong. If you see the world differently than I do, well then all of a sudden now you are my adversary, you are my enemy. There's no room for gray. But think about it. Think about it. One of the scarier qualities of a person, one of the scarier qualities of people is someone who never doubts who is never uncertain about anything. You see, I would argue that some of the scariest people I know are people who don't have any doubts. Greg Boyd, who's a pastor, an author, theologian, a teacher, he serves a church in St. Paul, Minnesota. He says, he says, certainty is a form of idolatry. Certainty is a form of idolatry. Instead of worshiping God, we worship our certainty about particular beliefs. Think about, think for a moment about the people who are very persistent about the beliefs of others. What I like to refer to as the theological police. In Jesus' time, they called them Pharisees. Today, we call them fundamentalists. But they love to call people out on what they believe or what they don't believe. Do you know anyone like that? So where do you stand? What's your theology? What do you believe about this? And it becomes a litmus test. And if you believe with them, you are in good standing. If you disagree, well then, you're wrong. To these folks, what you believe, what you are certain about becomes 
becomes the focus of faith and not God. And in that moment, certainty becomes an idol. Now, here's what I think. That those people, those theological police, those Pharisees, the, the people that are so set on certainty are usually, not always, but usually sort of a mess on the inside. And they don't know what to do with that mess that is their interior life. And if you don't know what to do with that mess, you have to point the finger at someone else. Because as long as you're dealing with somebody else's mess, you don't have to deal with your own. But see, faith was never meant to be a set of beliefs about what's going on between your ears. Faith in the way that Jesus spoke about it, the way that it is portrayed and discussed throughout the Bible, in particular here in Hebrews chapter 11, is about what you're willing to commit to. Faith is not a set of beliefs, it's a way of life. You see, faith is not what you are certain about or how certain you are. It's about whether you are willing to act, to move, to follow in the face of your uncertainty. Faith asks if you are willing to walk with, to follow Jesus, to trust God, even in the midst of the mystery, in the midst of the ambiguity, knowing that there will always be uncertainty. And that's why we call it faith. Look, I get it. We all long for certainty and safety and for things to be all nailed down and figured out. But that's not how the universe works, is it? The nature of the universe is that we grow, that we evolve, that we discover. And when we hold on to certainty, we block all of that. For us to grow, we have to have open minds open hearts, open ears, open hands. We have to learn to be okay with the uncertainty. And so maybe you're in one of those seasons of your life where, where you've got more questions than you've got answers, where you've got more doubt than you've got certainty. Things aren't working like they used to. Things no longer fit into those nice, neat boxes that they once did. Your notion of how things work is not working like it used to. Anne Lamott, who's one of my favorite authors, says that if she were God, if she were God, she'd have the answers at the end of the workbook so you could check as you went along to see if you were on the right track. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? But that's not how it is. We get questions. We get uncertainty. We get hints. But if we're faithful, we also get courage, and we get assurance, and we get hope. And yes, sometimes it feels like the rug has been pulled out from underneath us, and we bump into the furniture, but I would argue that in those moments, you are actually more alive than ever before, and that by faith, you are on the path towards wholeness that God desires, intends for your life. 
Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, not certainty, not belief, the assurance and conviction. Amen.